Matthew 25, verse 1 to verse 13. The vigilance in watching. As believers, based upon what the Lord has taught us last evening in Matthew 24, we all need to watch. Because as God's children, we should desire the Lord's blessing and the place in heaven because we understand the dire consequences of not watching how could a child of God who claimed to have experienced what the Lord Jesus Christ had to endure the pain and the shame and death for him and not want to watch and ensure that his life in Christ is holy godly and righteous if you are truly born again God wants you to make sure that you understand that you are not watching that is guarding your salvation your salvation is secured in Christ you just have to make sure that you are truly born again but we need to guard our holy testimony that we can lose Solomon lost it he reigned for 40 long years the first 20 years were good the next 20 years were disastrous many kings started very well but many of them did not end well what happened they lost not their salvation but their holy testimony because they stopped walking in the path of holiness and righteousness and that's what this camp theme is all about watch for the lord's return and so with your heart to desire to watch let's look at how we ought to watch this morning's message and tonight's message from the lord jesus christ in matthew 25 he gave us two parables the first focus on vigilance the second focuses on diligence they teach us how to do it and it comes from the Lord himself there were some wild ducks found in a good feeding place among the reeds growing on the edge of a certain slow running river in South Africa it was not too long before some boys discovered the regular visits of the ducks and they planned to catch them and so they devised a plan on how to catch them and so they began by placing pumpkins in the river above the birds and then allowed the river to carry them down to where the, buck, the ducks were feeding at first the ducks were very nervous and they flew away and you know what pumpkin looks like right orangey big scary looking actually but soon they decided there was no harm in it until the pumpkins could almost bump them without disturbing them in any way then came the second part of the boys plan each took a pumpkin scooped out the inside made two small holes to see through then placed them above their heads quietly slipped into the river showing only the pumpkin above the water they moved slowly and quietly toward the ducks 
And then they caught them by their legs from under the water and they had duck rice. <laughs> of course, the duck rice part I added. <laughs> That's why we need to be vigilant. When you see danger and evil, like the ducks, they thought the pumpkin was dangerous. They flew away. But after a while, when the pumpkin started to draw near to them, they look harmless. And after a while, they existed side by side with the pumpkin. Harmless. You know what happened. The world that we're living in is like that river. The boys would be the people of the world out there, watching, waiting, waiting. The devil wants to catch you. And he will never stop, all the more so when he understands that his time on earth will soon be over. When the, he knows that the time is short, what do you think he would do? When you know that your time is short to do evil, would you maximize the momentum of doing more evil or would you slow down and do less evil? Because you have a lot of time. No, he has a short time left. He understands. And so he will maximize. Now we have been telling you that we are living in the last days. You and I know what happened when the Lord returns. You know what happened when the Lord returns in rapture. That will be the beginning of the revelation of the seven years of great tribulation. The world will only have seven more years of existence from what we know the world to be today. After that, the world will never be the same again because the Lord will no longer permit man to rule one another. Jesus Christ himself will rule this new earth and a new heaven, which we know will last for a thousand years. No human being on earth ever succeeded in ruling and reigning for a thousand years because not a single human being, of course, could live a thousand years. In order for you to reign and rule a thousand years, you have to live that long. The oldest man who lived in the Bible was 969, Methuselah. Not a king in the Old Testament, in the period of the kings, ever lived more than 200 years, 100 years. So, impossible for them to reign a thousand years, except the Lord Jesus Christ, who will no longer die. He died when he was on earth for our sins, and that would be it. And so you and I must understand the deadly and the dangerous world that you are living in. And yet when you look at this parable that we are going to read responsively, Matthew 25 verse 1 to verse 13, please take note of verse 1. I shall begin responsively, please. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lambs, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lambs. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him.
Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. The last three verses in unison, please. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Amen. May God add his richest blessing to our hearts in the reading of his most holy and sacred word. The kingdom of heaven is likened to ten virgins. Now we know that the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be in heaven. But when you look at this parable, you know that this is not a picture of the kingdom of heaven in heaven. Right? There are definitely no ten foolish virgins in the real heaven itself. We know that because these ten virgins, the way that the Bible describes how they ended, the Lord did not know them. They will not be found in the eternal kingdom of heaven. Then why did Jesus Christ describe this parable as the kingdom of heaven is likened to this Old Testament marriage? This is their way of marriage, not ours. I'm sure the way that people marry in Australia will be different from how we marry in Singapore, even for Christians. You go to Kenya, different countries, even though they are Christians, but because of their culture and the manner in which they practice their culture and their understanding of marriage, as long as that aspect of culture does not contradict the Bible, you can observe it. And so they will have their own understanding of how marriage ought to be conducted. Now this is the biblical method. So please do not inject any of our understanding of marriage into this. It's unfair. So we have to understand why Jesus Christ used the marriage, because that's basically what a parable is. Real life events, whether it is in the farming industry or whether it is in their normal day-to-day -day life, the Lord will use them and then give us a spiritual truth using day-to-day -day events that the people are familiar with in His time. But not to people in our time because we do not live in Jesus' time and, of course, not in Israel. So it is our duty to study and go back in time, as it were, and try our best to understand their culture and their understanding of marriage and then draw spiritual lessons from it because Jesus makes no mistakes. He understands. And so when he picked this using marriage, and of course the next parable from verse 14 onwards, he borrowed another illustration which was also common in his time, in Jesus' time. And so in this instance, verse 1 to verse 13, the kingdom of heaven is likened to these ten virgins. And so the first thing we need to find out is, 
Is it true, therefore, that it is not a reference to the kingdom of heaven in eternity? And Jesus is never wrong, then Jesus must be referring to another aspect of God's kingdom. And the only aspect where this location ought to be is on this earth. So Jesus Christ is basically telling us that my kingdom of heaven could be found on earth. And it will be in our context when the local church is born. It's the church, isn't it? Now we're not saying that becoming a church member is equivalent to becoming a member of God's heavenly home. To have your name written in the membership book of CB. I nearly say CPBBC, Calvary Panda. BPCWA is not equivalent to having your name written in the book of life. Please understand this. But this is a picture, again, of professing believers, just as what the Lord mentioned in the previous verses in chapter 24. The Lord of that servant, right? So he, Jesus is not talking about unbelievers who do not care about Christianity, who never call themselves, I'm a Christian. So he is again targeting, focusing on those who are professing believers. And then he described them as, well, there are 10, 5-5, five, 50-50 five, as it were. Now the percentage doesn't mean anything. It could be 1% out of 9, or 10%, 1 out of 9. It doesn't, percentage is not the focus. The focus is, there will always exist in the local church, unless your local church is so small, made up of maybe 10 individuals, and you know all 10 of them extremely well, and you see evidence upon evidence of their salvation, then you can safely say, everyone in my church made up of 10 persons are truly born again. But by and large, as a church grows, the more it grows, you'll find that there will always be a mixture of believers and unbelievers. Whether it is more unbelievers or fewer unbelievers, it depends on the church situation. Of course, there will be churches where there will be made up of only unbelievers, no doubt, especially in these last days of the ecumenical movement. Because when you are a truly born-again believer and your church was infiltrated by bad pastors, unbelieving pastors, who continue to undermine the Word of God. And then you try your best to stop it. You talk to the leaders, but you fail. And once you have tried and you realize that you have failed, you have no choice but to get your family out of that church because you do not want your children to be taught in the Sunday school system with all these erroneous teachings and doctrines that will ruin their lives. And they will have no salvation, obviously, and so you will save them by getting them out and find a sound biblical church for your children's sake, their salvation's sake in particular. You may be born again, your wife may be born again, but you know your children need salvation because you do not want your family to be separated. Because you understand that the DNA of mom and dad in our children is not powerful enough to stop death from separating us. But when everyone is sealed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and since the Bible tells us that every child of God, because of God's love, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, and since everyone in the family 
is a disciple of Jesus Christ and therefore your whole family can never be separated, not even by death, in Christ. And so for this, with this understanding, you will bring your family out. And so more and more of God's children will bring their family out. And what do you have left in the church? Only goats. Literally, truly, only goats. Because Jesus says, my sheep hears my voice. And when the preacher is no longer preaching the voice of your Saviour, you will be vexed in your spirit, you will be upset and angry, and you can't stand it anymore. Sunday after Sunday, you drag your feet initially because of friendship, because of relationship between this church for so long, and you want to maintain this friendship and relationship, but then you realize that for the sake of my children's salvation and for the sake of Christ, I cannot remain. I'm prepared to sever my friendship and relationship with all these friends of mine for all these years in this church. And I'm going to tell them in order to help them and see whether they will want to leave as well for their spiritual and salvation sake. And so they will leave. And what do you have left? Only goats. Because goats will find the voice of the Saviour offensive. Just as sheep will find the voice of hirelings and false teachers and false Christ offensive. That's why your reaction and your response to the Word of God is crucial. And therefore we know that this parable is about the Kingdom of Heaven on this earth. A mixture of believers and unbelievers. The bad news is, of course, unbelievers in our midst. The good news is, you don't have to wait when you arrive in the Kingdom of Heaven to experience that you are in the Kingdom of Heaven. Based upon parables such as this, you realize that Jesus Christ is telling us that you can experience living in the Kingdom of Heaven because the Kingdom of Heaven is found on this earth even though we have been telling you, Jesus has been telling us that the God of this world is in control of the minds of the people of the world because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that He has blinded the minds of those who reject the Gospel. That is His domain out there. Never forget out there in the world is the devil's domain from top to bottom. From all the economic rules and regulations, all of them are the enticements and all the dangerous pumpkins of the God of this world. Making you think that it is safe. They will come next to you. At the beginning, you may see that it is deadly and dangerous because you are not familiar with them especially when you are in the working world for the first time, after you leave school. Everything you see, you are on guard, deadly and dangerous. You are extra careful. But once you are immersed in it, it's not so bad. Like the pumpkin, it appears harmless, it's safe. And that's when your guard is down, and that's where you become less vigilant as you are supposed to be. And that's how the devil will work. It is usually a mixture of persecution, I call it subtraction, threat of losing something that will cause us not to be vigilant. The other one is seduction, I call it the positive addition. Add to you so much luxurious lifestyle 
that you now become so comfortable with carnality and you think that this is Christianity. But you have not even realized that you are no longer vigilant. You have already been sucked into the world. And every day you live in this life, it's another day lost for eternity. Living for the devil and for the world instead of living for Christ. Because you have ceased to be vigilant and you did not even know it. The kingdom of heaven begins on this earth when you accept the Christ as Lord and as Savior. When you are in the church, a sound church, where the Bible is the only rule book, not the laws and requirements of man out there, but the Bible. Isn't that something similar to what we understand to be heaven? In heaven, do you think you will find the word of man or the word of God ruling side by side? No, only the word of God. There is no word of man ruling side by side. In heaven, only the word of God rules and reigns. In every sound biblical church, it is the duty of every pastor and leader to make sure that every ministry from the youngest to the oldest is ruled according to the word of God. And so it is the duty to provide for everyone who comes into such a church an environment that is similar or as close to heaven as possible. How you relate to these people? Let's search the scriptures. How do you deal with this issue? Let's search the scriptures. How do we deal with this attack from outside? Let's look at the Bible. How do we help this brother who has stumbled and fallen? Let's look at the Bible. That's what it means. We provide you with an environment that is heaven-like in the church. And sinners, when they come in, they find salvation in Christ because the gospel is preached in the Bible. You know, we had a challenge in the midpoint of the COVID pandemic because the government allowed us to return back to church. They came up with rules what we can do and cannot do when we return to church. And so one of the rules was everyone was, must wear masks when they come in. There must be contact tracing as they come in. So rules were set while the vaccination process was going on. To encourage people to get vaccinated, they use a lot of enticements a lot of benefits and sometimes for those who refuse to be vaccinated they use a lot of subtraction you cannot enter into shopping center you cannot eat in hawker center if you're not vaccinated you cannot eat in restaurants with your family so they ostracize you hopefully they will force you by all these ostracism you cannot do this you cannot do that and you can't even go to church if you're not vaccinated to force you to be vaccinated and one of the things they told us that we cannot do even when we come back, even though we have to wear masks, is that you can't sing. And so that became an issue in our leadership. What should we do when the law tells us that we cannot sing? And we sing, we break the law. When the leaders of the church, when the board of elders the pastor and the elders decide and tell the congregation, you cannot sing when you come for worship. 
And if they sing, we tell them it is a sin. Because we speak on behalf of God. The law of man says you cannot sing. Alright, if I sing, I break the law of man, alright, I pay the penalty. But when the leaders tell the congregation you come for worship, you can't sing. We have pre-recorded singing, we have pre-recorded of choir, presenting hymns and so on to help us, to provide us an environment. But all of you can't sing. If we say that to them, and some of them will sing, because how do you tell them not to sing when you hear familiar hymns being reverberated throughout the whole sanctuary? And you have more than, what, 500, 700, 800 people. You tell them, don't sing, can't sing. And if you do, now the conscience will be troubled. And if they, the moment they sing, I have sinned. They will repent because we represent God. That's how important the leaders are in providing an environment for them because the moment you stand behind the pulpit, the moment a Sunday school teacher stands in front of the class with a Bible in your hand, please understand you are speaking on behalf of God. We have to make sure that we never forget that. Sunday school teachers, all Bible study leaders, don't ever, ever forget. The moment you hold your Bible in your hand and you open your mouth and then you begin to tell people that what you are saying is from the Bible, you better study hard and be accurate and make sure that it is really thus said the Lord. Otherwise, you are in jeopardy, in danger of misrepresenting the Lord Jesus Christ. So you've got to do due diligence. And so we have this conundrum. So I've got to talk to the board of elders, explain to them a very simple principle. Whatever the government tells us to do, that is not found in the Bible, we obey not only because we don't want to get caught, but even for conscience sake. I mean, the government is not omnipresent, right? There will be things that we can do. The government is not going to catch you. Like, for example, first rule was never leave home without a mask. So people who make masks, they make tons of money, right? I was told that one company that make masks in Malaysia, overnight multi-billion dollar business. Literally, overnight. Masks, mandate. The Bible says, whenever you leave home, enter into the world without mask. No, right, we wear mask. Not a problem. We follow. What else? Sanitize your hand and we follow. Not a problem. But the moment the government tells us to do something that the Lord tells us to do, and they cross into the Lord's domain, then we have to make a choice. Do I obey God or obey man? And so I explain to the board of elders, we have to tell the people. We cannot tell them not to sing. But we also understand the safety issue. Because they did a study, even with mask on, when you sing, it still be droplets because it's not 100% airtight. And the health of the people, especially when the vaccination process was still in the process you take the first vaccination, the second vaccination, you're going to wait for a period of time, and then before you get your booster, another few months before you take your booster, and so people can get very sick. And uh, many have already died all over the world in the millions. And so we also understand the health issue, and yet there is a spiritual issue. And so we look at the example. Daniel was told not to pray for 30 days. 
unless to the king of Persia. But it was his custom to open the door or the windows facing Jerusalem to pray three times a day. And so when the law of Persia crosses into the domain of God and Daniel's life, he prayed and he bore the consequences of breaking the law of man, cast into the lion's den. Same with his three friends, refused to bow down to an idol because the Bible made it clear. Commandment number one, number two, number three. There's only one living and true God. We never bow down to anyone except to the Most High. And so they bore the consequence. Fiery furnace, so be it. Cast us in there then. But we cannot break the laws of God. And so we have to teach our congregation. Sing to yourself unto the Lord. And so many of them will be singing in their heart. Many of them will be singing softly to control the droplets that will definitely flow out. Imagine a few hundreds people, five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred, all singing out loud at the top of their lungs, and people can get very sick because many were still in the process of completing their vaccination. And so we have to balance. If we say cannot sing at all, even if you sing in your heart, they will be convicted that they have sinned. The kingdom of heaven that the Lord has portrayed to us, He wants us to understand our Christian life on earth, how great a blessing it is. In other words, how do I know I'm going to enter into the kingdom of heaven that is in eternity? Jesus says, by making sure that you are in the kingdom of heaven while you are on earth. Don't guess, don't have some kind of, I hope I will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Please don't have that kind of wishful, maybe kind of a hope. The biblical hope is certainty. The world's definition of hope is maybe. Don't have that maybe mentality. You have to be 100% certain and this is what vigilant parable is all about. So the first thing we notice is that vigilance is a believer's conviction. It is not an option. Every truly born again believer will have that conviction. They will take their lamb and they will go forth to meet the bridegroom. Alright? All the lamb. This is their custom. This is the way of their wedding, their marriage. They all know that when the bridegroom comes, the only way that they are going to be received by the bridegroom is that the lamb must keep on burning. They, all of them, all the ten virgins understood this. Rule. The lamb must keep on burning when we meet the bridegroom face to face. And so five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. In what way were they considered wise and foolish? The foolish took their lambs, but they took no oil with them. The wise took their lambs with extra oil. Alright, very simple. Your life and my life, the moment you call yourself a Christian, it is like the lamb. You're telling people, when you look at my life, you're going to see the light of Christ. We are like the moon. The moon has no light of its own other than what it reflects from the sun. S-U-N. 
Did Jesus not tell us at the start of the Sermon on the Mount after he gave us the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes describe and summarize for us exactly, very precisely, the life of a Christian on earth. Eight Beatitudes culminating in, blessed are those who suffer for Jesus' sake. Isn't that a summary of our entire life from the moment we are born again to the day we die? And then immediately after that, he described us as we are the salt and light. Two simple illustrations. The salt because the world is decaying. Salt was used to preserve the world from decaying, to prevent rotten meat from decaying. And so your life is to slow down the corruption and the decay that is in society. First in your own home, in your schools if you are a Christian, in your workplace if you are a Christian. The whole environment there will be different because of your presence when you emanate Christian principles and ethics and morality. It is very, very different. I'm sure all of us who work before or who are still working, you understand that. I've never seen someone give thanks before a meal. I remember when I went to work, I make sure that during my interview, my bosses understand that I am a Christian. When I finished the interview, they offered me the job straight away. That was just before the end of the year. We graduated because my course was four and a half years. Went in in June. We just do some mathematics, four and a half years. And so we finished our studies sometime in December. We got our results. And my boss called me up to go for interview. I was at a church camp, I came back. And then uh, my sister told me, someone called you to ask you to go down for a job interview. Gave me the number and I went down with my portfolio, all my drawings. And then after a few hours of interview, I showed them my drawings and so on. And then they offered me the job on the spot. They were looking for someone to design a university in Ujung Pandang, in Indonesia, to support my boss, to help him. And so I said, I need to pray about it. He said, what did you say? I said, I need to pray about it, and then I will let you know before the end of the year. And so I went back home and I prayed, and the Lord laid upon my heart, this is where the Lord wanted me to serve Him. And so I called them back, and so I started work in January the 2nd. And so I will have meals with my colleagues. Once a month, they will have company lunch together, and so I begin to amuse with them. And so I did what I usually do, I give thanks before I eat my food. And then after maybe about three, four months, my big boss, again in front of all the staff, we're about to eat. Then he said to them, stop, stop, or stop. Because big boss says, right, to stop, they miss all, all the chopsticks, they want to go and dig into that round table with all the dishes. Stop. And we all stop. They all stop. I was closing my eyes to pray. Stop. So I stop. <laughs> then he said, to me, All right, all of you wait. Let's run you. Pray for all of us. I got shocked. He had been observing. He had been observing what I was doing. I was just doing what I need to do, what I was taught to do as a young Christian. I came to know Christ at the start of my second year in architecture. 
So I was only a believer for maybe three, four years. And so I pray for everyone. I pray out loud this time. And then at the end of the meal, he said, stop again. Do you have to pray again after we finish? I said, no need. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. You never know. I mean, I do not do it intentionally. So after that, every month when we have company lunch, what do you think would happen? Not become a regular thing. Now I pray all the time now. Once a month for everybody. That was not, never done. I was the only believer in the company. I never even imagined that it would end up like this. When I went to work in Ujumpanda, I did the same. Because of the design university, I could speak to head of departments, head of faculties, vice-chancellors were there, even the governor was there. Because it's a big multi-million dollar enterprise, paid for by the World Bank. And then one day I received a Christmas card from someone that I do not recognize. When I open it, it's from the governor of Ujumpanda, wishing me blessed Christmas. I noticed that you are a Christian. A governor. He was observing and watching what we do. Simple thing, how we eat. Because he noticed I give thanks for my meal. I didn't even have the opportunity to talk to him because I'm low, low down in this long ladder of important people. I'm just an assistant to my big boss. That's it. They don't talk to me. I'm a nobody. But they observe. Vigilance. It is a Christian's conviction to just simply be who you are. Maintain your Christian witness and testimony even in the simplest way. To the world, our simplest day-to-day -day normality is something strange and alien to them because if you are the only believer in your classroom, when you have recess time, when you buy your food, when you eat your meal, whatever you do, you conduct yourself normally as a child of God. That's all. You don't have to be See, sometimes our problem is to be a holy witness means I purposely, consciously be a holy witness because the people are watching. When I mean, people are not watching, then oh, yeah, I relax, I don't have to be a holy witness. That is terrible. That means your holy witness is falsified. You do it for the sake of other people to observe you. And then when you are all alone, the true self comes up and the true self is not that holy, is it? Because now nobody is watching. Therefore, I can drink a little bit because I don't want to stumble anyone. So I won't drink when people are watching. But when I'm all alone, I drink. When I'm all alone, I go and serve the net and see some things that are unsightly, that will feed the lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes. Nobody knows. God doesn't want that kind of witnesses whereby they only do it for man's sake. You do it because of your personal conviction is who you are in Christ. Our salvation is not by the will of man, not by the power of man, it's by the Holy Spirit. When the moment you pray the prayer of salvation, when you are shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, when the Lord sends someone, either a track or a person, and then you hear the word of God, you heard it. How Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for your sin. And if you were to die in your sin, you will end up in hell. 
The Lord knows that and that's why God loves you and that's why God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross, to take your place, to suffer on your behalf the sin that you have committed against God that you cannot pay other than to be punished and be cast into the lake of fire and to be burned forever and ever. God doesn't want to see any sinner end up like that. And so He sent His only begotten Son to suffer, to live and to die for you. All you need is to believe. And how do I know it's enough to wash away all my terrible sins? God says it is enough because I raised Him from the dead to show you that it is enough. My only begotten Son. God who is omniscient, omnipresent, scrutinized every moment of Jesus' life from the day He was born to the day He breathed His last breath and said to the Lord, it is finished, and He gave up the ghost. You know God the Father is omniscient and omnipresent and He scrutinized and examined every moment of Jesus' life from every thought He had, from every motive He had, from every word He spoke, privately or otherwise, perfect. Because the moment it is not perfect even in the slightest manner, and God who is omniscient, omnipresent, He will really search and search and search. Perfect. That's why God raised Him from the dead and all who truly, sincerely believe with all their heart that Jesus Christ died in their place, rose from the dead for their justification, they will be saved. And Jesus will know it. And the moment Jesus knows that you are born again, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that point in time, the Holy Spirit will now dwell in you. And you are now instantaneously a child of God with the conviction of a child of God and God says you must now be vigilant and guard your holy testimony because I could have taken you home but I want you to leave, I leave you behind I want you to live a life of holiness and be a holy witness and Jesus described it in this manner that by your good works they will glorify me God the Father who is in heaven glorify my Father who is in heaven Jesus says and how will they by your good works glorify our Father who is in heaven for a sinner because they see Christ in your life and they become a Christian by hearing the gospel God the Father will be glorified how will you glorify the Father in heaven by your good works among believers by serving unconditionally sacrificially by provoking one another unto love and to good works by co-laboring with God and build up the lives of fellow believers that's how you glorify God in heaven who is in heaven and that's why you have to be vigilant you have been entrusted with the spiritual task and duty that the world hates the devil hates the world doesn't understand but you know before your salvation you and I served the world mammon was our motivation sin was our master we all know that, we experience that. Don't ever forget what you were like before. That's why the Lord gave us the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper always reminds us of our transformation. From an unbeliever to a believer. From an enemy of God to a child of God. From a, a sinner to a saint. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. To remind us of that moment in our life from darkness to light. Don't ever forget that because that will straight away 
invoke, evoke a lot of gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord. It will stir within our heart that first love that burned very brightly in our soul. Does it not? It should. The danger is when we have been believers for so long, remember the pumpkin and the duck. Our guard is down. We relax. And that's where the danger is most dangerous. The snare. They grabbed the ducks from below the water and that was it. Below the water. Why didn't they put their hand up and grab the neck? Because the moment they put their hand up, they know that this is not a pumpkin. It's dangerous now. Many of the other ducks will just fly away. You may catch only one or two. But they want to catch everyone. Below. Grab. And pull. And they think that pumpkin is safe. Grab and pull. Another one, another one, another one. Isn't that the subtlety of the devil? And that's why it is a believer's conviction. Are you deeply convicted that you want to be vigilant? You want to be on guard. You want to guard your holy testimony for Jesus' sake. Because it's no longer you. Now, unless you don't tell people that you're a Christian. But then the Lord warns us. Why? Are you ashamed of me? Are you ashamed to confess me before men? And the Lord says, if you are ashamed to confess me before men, then I will also not confess you before my Father who is in heaven. That means you are not born again again. Do you realize that? If you are truly born again, the Lord says, please, I give you the honor and the privilege to tell the world, tell your family, tell your loved ones, tell everyone that you are now a disciple of mine, Jesus disciple. Please go and tell. He didn't say be a hidden secret Christian. He doesn't want a hidden secret Christian because that's why he saved you to leave you here to tell the world that God's love for sinners in Christ is still very much very readily available and it has the same potency to save every sinner just as it was 2,000 years ago. That potency to save a sinner thoroughly, completely, 100% did not diminish, not even in the slightest, with the passage of time. And you can see this in the lives of all God's children, my disciples, Jesus says. That's why you go out there and you tell them. The moment you do that, please understand the burden that you have now put upon your own self. I now represent the Son of God Himself. That's what it means. I now represent the Creator of this whole wide heaven and earth, the universe. Do you know that? Look at my life, you're going to see the Son of God. Hear my words, you're going to hear the words of my Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Can you now dare not to be vigilant to guard such a wonderful, amazing name? Because the only name under heaven that can save a sinner is the name of Jesus Christ, which you are now carrying with you everywhere you go. You never put off that name. You cannot even think that while I'm in Australia, I be the best Christian I can because I'm surrounded by family members and friends and church members and church leaders. But the moment I am outside, they are not seeing, they are not watching, they are not around, I can be somebody else. I hope you are not like that. Because a vigilant believer will never even think that way. You don't stop being a child of God. The Spirit of God who dwells in you will never, never give you the peace that you experience. He will take it away. 
And the moment the peace of God is taken away from you, you will be a miserable believer and the only way to come back is to repent and then the peace will return because the Spirit of God will never depart a child of God. And when the child of God strays away, the Spirit of God will be vexed in his soul for his own good. Imagine if the Spirit of God continue to give you the peace while you're living in carnality and in sin. Then God will be promoting us to live more in carnality and in sin. That's the deadliest nature of the health and wealth gospel. When they Christianize carnality, telling people, Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for your sins so that you can be healthy and wealthy on earth. And therefore, you send forth millions of people who think they are Christians, who will go to the workplace motivated by money, money and power and money. Jesus Christ came to save us from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The gospel of the charismatic is to promote. Jesus Christ came to enhance the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's the hell the world gospel. Please don't think that it is a small matter. Preaching another gospel to deceive a sinner, making him think that he's born again, is anathema. You know how the Apostle Paul is very careful with his words. How many times did he use the word anathema? Galatians 1, that's it. That's it. Let him be a curse. You lead sinners into hell by making them think they're going to heaven on earth. That kind of gospel ought to send the preacher, the teacher, the evangelist into anathema. That's why you have to be vigilant. It's a believer's conviction. Not the five foolish virgins. They plan on purpose, right? They bought the oil, they call themselves Christians, they have the light. They know they're meeting the bridegroom, which is a glorious celebratory event, happy occasion. You know that it is up to the bridegroom when he will return. It is your responsibility and duty to make sure that you have enough oil. Now the land that they use is a small little shell-like kind of a structure. It's not one big gigantic canister. And then on it will be a spout. And then on the spout there will be a little wick. And then uh, you just light it. And then the well where the oil is, the moment the oil dries up, the lamp will just, the light will just simply stop lighting. You just go off. The wick is still there. The moment uh, you pour in more oil, the wick is designed to suck up the oil and then you can light it again that's why they bring extra oil they all know that this little lamp has only a limited amount of oil they all know that the only way that the bridegroom will open the door for us to enter and rejoice with him on his day of wedding celebration feasting is that the lamp must be burning that is the key that is the only way that you can enter the moment you don't have a lamp that is lit you can't enter even though you may have the lamp why don't you bring extra you know that the bridegroom will definitely return you know that with this present one lamp it is not sufficient they should they ought to they must bring extra oil if they are really serious in wanting to celebrate the bridegroom's wedding to enter the feasting does that mean that you're not very interested 
That's why you don't want to bring the oil. Why don't you want to bring the oil? Why don't you want to be vigilant? Are you not interested in going to heaven? See, that is one of the terrible things about the doctrine of assurance of salvation. People in the last days abuse the doctrine of assurance of salvation. Imagine teaching a charismatic professing believer the doctrine of the assurance of salvation. He has no salvation at all. And then now you promise him assurance of salvation. Don't worry, you now guarantee a place in heaven. Continue to live in carnality and pursue after health and wealth. Your place in heaven is 100% guaranteed. You know that what will do to him, right? Because of what you say as a pastor, as their pastor, and they trust you implicitly, 100%. You have just sealed his fate. You just doomed him to hell. Do you know that? Because when a truly born again believer tries to talk to him, he's not going to listen. Because his pastor promised him, guarantee I'm going to heaven. The assurance of salvation is only good and profitable if you are truly born again in Christ. When you are not born again in Christ, it's a death trap. To give you a false sense of assurance and make you think you're going to heaven and the moment you die, you are cast into hell and there is no escape. There is a chasm between heaven and hell that no one can bridge. That's why God said that person, that teacher, that evangelist, cursed him. Curse him. You know what that means when a person is cursed, right? It's beyond salvation. You don't want to be cursed by God. Once God curse you, you are sealed, you are doomed. You cannot be saved anymore. Do you know that? That's the meaning of curse. When God curse a nation, a city, you don't steal from that city. Jericho was under a curse, literally. Achan and his family, all of them were stoned to death. Achan stole from God. And he died, and because his family helped him bury the loot, they all died with him, because of him. And that is definitely a lesson there. Your conviction to be vigilant is one of the key evidence of someone who is born again. Do you know that? Now we must sustain it. And so it has to be a persevering conviction. It is not something that is temporary, it is not something that you want to have, it's fine. You don't want to have, it's also fine. It's not fine. The moment you don't have it, a not a conviction to live a holy life, how can that be fine? How can you say to your own soul, it's okay for me who call myself, I call myself a Christian, but I don't want to live a holy life. You know how much damage you're going to do to the name of Jesus Christ when you do that? You know very well that the only name under heaven that can save a sinner out of hell is the name of Jesus Christ. And every name you know will conjure up images, understanding and memory. Your pastor knows all of you very well. I'm sad to say I don't know many of my church members. I don't have good memory for faces and names. That is my Achilles heel. So much so that sometimes I'm so... A shame. 
that when people meet me out in the shopping center, when I do my groceries with my wife, and then they say, Hello, Reverend Quack. Even though without masks, I recognize that face, you know, but I don't know the name. I don't know what to call the person. Ah, so how are you? How are you? I did not say the name. And sometimes I'm so brave, or maybe not brave, or maybe foolish. I say the name out. Oh, hello, so and so. Oh, yeah, yeah, how are you, Reverend And Then the person walked away. Then my wife came along. You know, you call the person the wrong name, right? <laughs> but the person answered me. The person probably feel very bad for you. That's why the person answered you, did not correct you. Well, I'm correcting you now. <laughs> and then after that, I repeated again to other people. Because sometimes I feel so bad asking the person, because the person said, No, Reverend, I told you five times, right now you still ask me. So I dare not ask. Familiar faces, but can't put a name to it. But your pastor knows you well. And I'm glad. And when your name is mentioned, I talk to him, he will give me a description of who you are. Because of his interaction with you. And I'm sure you do the same, because that's exactly what a name is, right? When you share life, your name will conjure a lot of images. Your characteristic, your behavior, your conduct, who you are. That's normal. That's the way we know people. You ask me about my daughter, what she's like, my second daughter, my son, I will tell you. If I don't interact with them, then I probably say, I don't know what my daughter is like. And that's tragic. I'm supposed to know my own child. And if you were to ask any parent who spent time with their children, your child number one, number two, number three, what they are like, so you will describe. So a name will conjure a lot of images. And so when people hear the name Jesus Christ, and the only Christian they know is you. And so when they mention Jesus Christ, the image of Jesus Christ that comes into their heart and their mind will be you. How you portray Him, how you live, how you speak, everything about you will now be the only way that the sinner will have an understanding of Jesus. That's how important you are. That's how important vigilance must be to you for Jesus' sake. Definitely not for your own name's sake. Please, your own name doesn't even save an end. Right? Does your name save an end or not? You can't. But the name of Jesus can save a sinner out of hell. You know what hell is like? The Bible describes hell as a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember last verse of Matthew 24? You hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The pain will be so bad that the person will have to gnash his teeth. The person will weep and cry and cry without end. Because of the torment, because of the pain that the person will feel. The person dies, his soul or his spirit will be cast into hell. The soul and the spirit can feel grief, can feel pain, you know that. When someone that you love passes away. You know, I've been burying people one per week for the past six, seven weeks. How not to be reminded by God about the brevity of life? Last week before I came, thank God I didn't have to attend video service or conduct a funeral. The week before that, the week before that, the week before that, one a week. Video service. The hardest and the most difficult time is the last day. After the homegoing service, they have to cover the coffin where the whole family will have to see their beloved loved one for the last time physically on earth before they put them into the ground. 
That's the hardest. All of them were not feeling any physical pain. Then why are they weeping and grieving so badly? It's the soul. They missed the loved ones so much that they could not help themselves. And I will just stand there and give them as much time as possible. And then you have those loved ones who are in more control of their emotions, wrapping their arm around that person who is so distraught. Just weep and weep and some of them even knock on the coffin, knock on the coffin and talk as if the person was still alive. But physically, they are not feeling any pain. But where did the pain come from? It's within. It's the soul, it's the, it's, it's the pain. And that kind of pain, the grief, that is the worst, isn't it? It's the worst. Imagine being cast into hell, the soul can still feel. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, no end. What will cause people to weep? Maybe all kinds of memories. I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish I had listened during this camp. I wish I had prayed the prayer of salvation. I wish full of regrets. And then the gnashing of teeth is so painful that sometimes you have to hurt yourself in another part of your body in order for you to find some relief. And that's what hell is described for us. And you know that only when they truly believe in the Jesus Christ that is according to Scripture can they be saved from this. And the moment you call yourself a Christian, this is now your burden, your privilege, and your responsibility. And who are the people in your life that spend the most time with you, who will be impacted with you in terms of the image of Christ? Are the ones that you should be most guarded and careful with. So you go to work, your colleagues who spend eight hours with you, they are going to be the ones who will be received from you the greatest blessing or the greatest stumbling block. For mothers who stay home, your children will be the ones who will be impacted the greatest blessing or stumbling block in terms of Christ. Do you know that? That's why you cannot afford not to be vigilant and your vigilance has to persevere to the very end. And the Lord knows. Verse 5 to verse 9. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. So the Lord knows that there will be moments of lapses. The Lord knows. You cannot bring one gigantic 10-gallon barrel of oil. They brought some extra. The Lord knows that they will slumber and sleep. Because the Lord knows we are not perfect. You see, sometimes when we serve the Lord, and we are used by the Lord and be a blessing to someone, and people praise us, we think that it's because of how clever we are, how good we are, that God can use us to bless others, when in fact the opposite is true. It's despite our weaknesses and our frailty and our blunders and our mistakes, God can still use us. It's like a master carpenter who can design and build a beautiful, wonderful piece of furniture. And the tools that he used, when you look at his toolbox, Everything is broken. The chisel doesn't even have a proper handle. The chisel is blunt. The hammer is broken and it can't even knock properly because it's twisted. The nails are all rusty and all bent. Everything is all top class. Broken instrument. And yet the final product of this amazing piece of furniture, perfection. That's us. God built his church perfect at the end. 
But the instruments that he used are broken. So please don't rob God of his glory. If you are ever used by God in any way, give him the glory 100% sincerely and with all your heart. And say to the Lord, I am most unworthy. That's why the Lord taught us at the end of our life, we are only unprofitable servants. See, the Lord knows that they will sleep, they will slumber. Slumber means doze off. Sleep means really fall asleep. The Lord knows. So the Lord doesn't expect perfection from us. And you and I know we are not perfect. So don't give up being vigilant. You want to do your quiet time regularly? You promised the Lord at the end of last year to make sure that you keep your quiet time regularly. And how many of us have already not succeeded? It means every morning you've got to make sure that you do your quiet time. Spend time with the Lord. And after that, you spend time with Him. You go on your knees now. You pray to Him. Reading God's Word is God speaking. Praying, you now speak in turn to God. Always a dialogue. Never a monologue. Never just pray without reading God's Word. Never just read God's Word and not pray. You've got to do both. Begin with reading God's Word. Hear His voice. And after you've heard His voice, now let Him hear your voice. Present to Him all your prayer, all your burdens. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for your children. Pray for your loved ones. Pray for the church. Who are they? Pray for them. Before the Lord. Did you do that? Every morning from January 1st until now. You promised the Lord you're going to keep your quiet time. And then, how many times have you failed? How many times because of the pressure of work pressure or family pressure or whatever? You did not do it. You think the Lord doesn't know? Uh, since I cannot keep it, Lord, I failed 10 times already. I, I don't want to pray anymore for the rest of this year. Don't. Vigilance does not equal perfection. Vigilance means you do not give up in your path of holiness. Holiness means the moment you know you have sinned, you get rid of it. Please don't equate holiness with sinless perfection. It is not. Be ye holy as I am holy. That is one verse that says at the end of Matthew chapter 5. Be ye perfect as I am perfect. So sometimes people misunderstand that verse and think that, well, God wants me to be perfect. No, God wants you to be perfect in understanding God's word because the context is with reference to God's word. All of us can obey God's word perfectly. Do you know that? You know, let's say, 5% of God's word. So that 5% of God's word, you obey it perfectly because you can. And one of the most important verses that you must obey, obey perfectly is, what did you do when you sinned? Repent. What do you do when someone sinned against you and hurt you? Forgive. Obey that. We can obey the word of God perfectly. Please understand that. That's why Jesus be ye perfect as I'm perfect. In what sense? In terms of obedience to God's word. In the case of Christ, he is perfect in obeying the word of God without sin. We obey God's word perfectly means when we stumble and fall, what is the right way to do? What right thing to do for me to do right in the eyes of God? Repent, confess, bear the consequence, you must do it. But the crux of the matter is in terms of witness and testimony, be ye holy as I am holy. That's what God said to the nation of Israel as he formed them at the very onset. God said the same to us when we replace the nation of Israel as his witness today as a local church, be ye holy as I am holy. And that's why you have to guard your holy living. And therefore when you stumble and fall to guard my holiness, I repent and come back to the Lord, please give me strength 
to restart my quiet time again. I want to, Lord. I'm weak, but you are strong. Help me. The Lord will. Same with service. The Lord knows that we will stumble, we will sleep, and we will slumber. The Lord knows. And so when the Lord returns, at midnight there was a cry made, and behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Now, remember, the only qualification for you to meet him and for him to receive you and open the door and let you join him in celebrating the wedding feast is your lamb must be lit. And so all those virgins who trimmed their lamb, the foolish said to the wise, give us your oil for our lamb are gone out. But the wise said, sorry, we can't lest there be not enough for us and you. Now this is not about don't share. Huh? Please, huh? alright? Please, when your friend asks you for the piece of your sandwich, you only have one. Don't quote <laughs> verse 9. Alright? I don't have enough, sorry. Cut half, still give your friend. Right? Your friend is very hungry, half may still feel you a little bit, but not satisfy you 100%, but please still share. This is with reference to salvation. You can't share salvation, in other words. You can't share vigilance. I only wish. If I'm not vigilant, if my wife is 100% vigilant, Lord, could you please let me go into Because my wife is very vigilant, since you say that when we are married, we are one. <laughs> that is different. Oh, married one, uh, it'd be wonderful, isn't it? Now, if I eat, my wife will be full. <laughs> it'd be good, isn't it? <laughs> That's not true. It's about salvation. That's why they, they are not selfish. They can, cannot give it to you because salvation cannot be shared. Vigilance cannot be shared. You have your testimony, your life. You have to be vigilant on your own. I've got to be vigilant on my own. All of us got to be accountable to the Lord. All of us have to do our own vigilance. And persevere. Go out and you buy yourselves. They brought enough for themselves and so... They trimmed their lamp and then they put in the extra oil and they lit it. Persevering vigilance, conviction. You have to persevere. You know, young people, when they only have their school to contend with, you notice how vigilant they are as Christians. They don't have any financial burden because parents give them pocket money. The only burden is study hard and that's it. And so they did. They study hard and that's it. And so when you look at their student life as Christians, vigilant, pass the test. Flying colors. As they enter into the working world, new challenge. And then you'll find that their vigilance is now tested in a new domain that they have never experienced before. They go into the world, they are very, very vigilant because they've been told by their parents and by their leaders in the church, Dangerous world, dangerous one. So they go into the working world, they got a nice comfortable job. Every month now they get a four-figure salary put into their bank account. Their dressing begins to change. Their places of dining begin to change because now they can well afford it. Little by little they begin to change. Not realizing that they're becoming more and more carnal, less and less spiritual and become more invested in the things of the world which require them to have more money in order to maintain this new level of lifestyle that they have desired for themselves which they see among their own peers. Vigilance is usually little by little whittled away and then you become less and less vigilant like the pumpkin and the duck. Isn't that true? 
They think the pumpkin was harmless. That is the agenda of the naughty boys. Make the duck feel comfortable, feeling safe and secure. The moment they feel safe and secure in the world, the moment they think that the world is no longer dangerous as what they saw the world 10 years ago when they first entered it, because now they're immersed in it, it's not as bad. And before they know it, their licks have already been grabbed, and now they're already someone's supper. The devil's supper. And you don't even know it. And then you find that your emphasis in bringing up your own children now with additional responsibility is study hard, study hard, study hard at all costs. Where is the spiritual emphasis long lost and forgotten? You are now sleeping. You are now slumbering as far as your spiritual life is concerned. But if you are still listening, if you are still alive and awake, if you are still truly born again in Christ, it is not too late for you to repent. It is not too late to redirect your family and your own life back into the path of holiness and righteousness like the five wise virgins who will now pour oil and put it back in and start it lighting again. You can pour your oil back in. Now, I'm not saying that the oil is the Holy Spirit, right? Because this is not. Right? Some will allegorize and say that this is the, the oil is the Holy It is not. The Holy Spirit will never leave you. Right, to say that the Holy Spirit will not pour back in when He left you? No, He never leaves a child of God. The moment He leaves a child of God, you lose your salvation. You are a spiritual person because the Spirit of God dwells in you. And therefore, you can understand spiritual things. And therefore, you can understand this parable. If you are truly born again, if you are not truly born again, you will be like the five foolish virgin. You will ignore it and you will not bother, you will not care. You will not want to relight your life of holiness. The five wise virgins would. They now live in carnality. They want to come back to the Lord and relight it. Their life of holiness so that now my children now can see Christ in me, which they have not been able to see because dad had become carnal and dad had not been living for Christ. And now you want to and so you stop the carnality and you come back to the Lord because the Lord knows that we will slumber, we will sleep at times. Because we are not perfect. The Lord knows that. That's why the Lord picked this amazing marriage wedding to illustrate vigilance. He makes no mistakes. So you have to come back if you have not been. Make sure all areas of your life glorify Him. Which area is now in the doldrum of carnality? Come back. Relight the light of holiness in that area of your life and bring it back so that every area you do a checklist. One by one before the Lord in your heart. One by one, all your relationships, one by one, and anyone that is in slumbering in darkness, light it again. Come back to the Lord and relive in holiness and light it again. Because a truly born again believer, that conviction will never die. That conviction will persevere because it is the work of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. But if you don't, bear in mind, this lack of vigilance will condemn you. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. Because you did not relight your life of holiness. You didn't care. Anytime the Lord can come. 
And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. If you truly understand heaven, if you truly want to be with your Savior, if you truly want to embrace your Savior and the Savior to embrace you, you would do anything. One of the prayers that I prayed when my children were very young was that I literally begged the Lord, Lord, I am prepared to do whatever it takes, whatever you want me to do. Please be merciful to save my children. I prayed that prayer many times. And so we have to, I have to be a holy testimony to my children. And you and I know that in marriage there will be challenges. Where husband and wife will quarrel, husband and wife will make mistakes. And so I make that promise. I want my children to see Christ in me. And as the head of the house, the spiritual well-being of everyone in the home, including my wife, is under my charge, my responsibility. And that means whenever I quarrel with my wife, I must be the first one to apologize and make right. And sometimes it's very hard to do because of pride. But then I pray, Lord, please humble me, give me the opportunity and the words to say sorry to my wife. Every time, literally every time, when I quarreled with my wife and I prayed, the Lord helped. The Lord helped. Sure, as a husband, I'm sure I hurt my wife. Because we are not perfect. I don't want to. But that's the reality. And so I prayed, Lord, please help me. Help me to guard my own spiritual life and that of my wife and my children. Because I want my wife to grow spiritually. Because she is my responsibility before God. Because that's exactly what the head of the house is supposed to do, isn't it? To make sure that your wife grows spiritually. And then when my children see Christ in me and my wife, hopefully they will want to embrace and believe this wonderful Saviour, whom mommy and daddy love very much. And thank God, in due time, in God's appointment, they came to know Christ as Lord and as Saviour. Reading their testimony of salvation on the day of their reaffirmation gave me the greatest joy. And the next step as a parent is to now help them discover God's will for their life. And once they have discovered God's will for their lives, my duty as a parent is completed before God. And so the Lord can take me home at any time. As far as parenting is concerned, I will wait for my children to join me in heaven if the Lord tarries. Should this not be your prayer to Christian fathers? Or do you hate and despise your children? If you are not living a life of carnality, you know you are despising them. Because they are going to grow up and despise and reject the Christ that you have presented to them, which is a Christ that is a hypocrite. Because they see mom and dad so holy and righteous when they sing hymns, when they do all these Christian things on Sunday. But they are not the same fathers and mothers that they see from Monday to Saturday. They quarrel, they argue all the time. They only emphasize on the things of the world daily. But on Sunday, they emphasize the things of God. Why are they like that? Why do you think the Lord tells us, remember last night? You are going to be cast into hell together with the hypocrites. 
vigilance. Would you repent and return to the path of vigilance and guard your holy life so that no area of your life is carnal. Every area is holy. That's what it means by saving enough oil to relight the lamp. But the foolish, they went out. Afterward came also the other virgins and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. Do you know that this phrase, this cry, Lord, Lord, is the same as what Jesus described in the last part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Do you know that? Verse 21, Not everyone that said to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And where is the will of God the Father who is in heaven found on earth? The Bible, isn't it? Where is the will of God the Father who is in heaven found on earth? You can't go up to heaven and say, Heavenly Father, please show me your will. You can't go to heaven. Well, thank God, God had done everything to help us. The will of God the Father who is in heaven is found on earth in the Bible. Why do you think the devil keeps attacking the Bible? The devil understands the importance of the Bible in every believer's and sinner's life better than all of us combined. He never stopped attacking the Bible. Do you know that? How did he first seduce and deceive Eve? Yea, had God said the Bible. At the time, there was no written scripture. If there were written scripture, he would probably say, Yea, had God written in those days, they only had the spoken word. God the Father spoke to Adam and Eve before that encounter. And that's why he said, Yeah, did God really say those words? The moment he casts doubt, he wins. The moment you accept the doubt, he wins. Do you know that? That's why Jesus is so clear. Not everyone that said to me, Lord, Lord, just because you call yourself Christian, just because you call Jesus Christ my Lord and my Saviour, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who will keep on doing the will of my Father which is in heaven, that is obeying God's word. Not even service. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? That means serving, preaching the gospel, preaching the word of God, like what, you are, what we are doing now on this pulpit. And in the name of God, cast out devils, controlling demons, and in God's name, in Jesus' name, done many miracles. Wonderful works means miracles. Matthew 7, 23. And then, without hesitation, if you look at the Greek construction, the moment the last syllable comes out of the mouth of the professing believer before God's throne of judgment, Jesus will say, Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, not even in the slightest. Now, the word knew there is experiential knowledge. I have no experience with this person. Not that God, Jesus doesn't know you. He knows your name. He knows when you are born. He knows you. But he doesn't have any personal interaction, personal relationship. This is experiential knowledge. Depart from me straight away. Ye that worketh, you work so hard in God's house, in God's church, but you are just working iniquity because all your motive is wrong. Your hands are still stained by your own sin. Rejected. Same phrase, Lord, Lord, open, I want to join at the feast. But he answered and said, I know you not. I do not even know you mentally. I don't know you at all. Watch therefore, that's your theme verse. Wake up, because that's the word Gregory. Rouse awake and stay awake. For you know neither the day nor the hour. And Jesus did that on purpose. 
because he wants all of us to be vigilant. If you know the exact time, you will not be vigilant all the time. He wants us to be vigilant all the time because that's a believer's conviction and he knows that we will not be perfect and that's why it needs to be a persevering vigilance, persevering conviction because that is a warning that without vigilance, we are condemned. So you have to be vigilant, dear friend. It is a clear evidence of your salvation. How do you not want to guard the name of Jesus Christ that you are carrying with you everywhere you go? Guard it and maintain it and keep it in holiness so that people, when they look at you, your sons, your daughters, your colleagues, everyone who looks at you, your friends in church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, when they look at you, when they think of you, when they attend your funeral, when they attend your vigil service, every time they think of you, they see Christ. And that must be our desire, that must be our hope for ourselves. That the moment they remember you, the moment your children remember mom, remember dad, it draws them closer to the Saviour. That's what vigilance will accomplish for you in your life, in the lives of the people that you impact. Is that too much to ask by the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that too much? Or is that the least we could do? I'd like to conclude by reading to you a poem. Of course, I did not write it. What would he say as Jesus? If he should come today and find my hands so full of future plans, however fair, in which my Saviour has no share, what would he say? If he should come today and find my love so cold, my faith so very weak and dim, I had not even looked for him, what would he say? If, I, if he should come today and find that I had not told one soul about my heavenly friend whose blessings all my way attend, what would he say? If he should come today, would I be glad, quite glad, remembering that he died for all and none through me had heard his call? What would he say? Let us pray.